Shalom and welcome to Israel Policy Forum's new Matzav podcast. My name is Eli Koaz. I'm Communications and Digital Director at IPF. And I'm Noah Schusterman, joining you here at IPF. I'm the Research and Communications Fellow. And we'll be here every week bringing you a hot topic from Israel and the region with all the latest details and analysis. We'll mostly focus on Israeli security issues that are in line with IPF's mission of promoting a Jewish, democratic, secure Israel. So for our first episode, we want to discuss a topic that has been um, kind of in the shadows and did not receive a lot of media attention, uh, but might have very strong implications for any kind of uh, future agreement with the Palestinians. A few days ago, the Ministerial Legislative Committee in Israel approved an amendment to the Basic Law of Jerusalem, initiated by Naftali Bennett, which stipulates that any kind of attempt to divide Jerusalem um, would be had have to be approved by 80 members of Knesset. Now, for the most part, this amendment has been overshadowed by the protests on the Temple Mount in the aftermath of the terror attack that left two Israeli policemen dead. We'll get to the Temple Mount later. Now, this is a complicated amendment, and there's much to discuss. So to help us take this apart, in IPF's New York office is Lior Shilat. Lior is the Director General of the Jerusalem Institute for Policy Research, a think tank that produces crucial research on Jerusalem trends. He served as a senior advisor to the late Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. Welcome, Lior. Thank you. It's great to be here. So um, let's start. Can you please uh, explain... What is this amendment? What is this bill? What are we talking about? Okay, so in order to understand the amendment, we need first to understand the term Jerusalem borders. In 1967, when Israel took the West Bank from uh, the Jordanian, there was a big question in the Israeli government regarding uh, the issue of Jerusalem. Interesting enough, when you look at the protocols of the government, most of the ministers at the time believed that at a certain point the West Bank will be either an independent state or part of Jordan. However, they wanted to guarantee that Jerusalem, because of its importance to the Jewish people, would be part of the country. Therefore, they went to the IDF and they say, guys, we need to find a way or the right line to, uh, to annex into the Jerusalem. The Jerusalem at the time, the Jordanian Jerusalem, was a very small part of what we call Jerusalem today. Approximately two and a half square miles, that's all. But when the IDF came to the government with its proposal, the proposal was much more, uh, much wider. In a sense, at the beginning of the, at the end of the government uh, meeting, the ministers decided to annex 70 square kilometers, equal to something like 27 square miles, into the city of Jerusalem. This part included, beside the Jordanian Jerusalem, also other 27 villages and towns that are today the neighborhoods of what we call East Jerusalem. So like Isawiya, Jabal Mukaber, and those... Exactly. Starting from uh, Kfar Akeb in the north all the way to Jabal Mukaber and Walaje and Betzafafa in the south, those are the 27 towns and villages that were annexed to the city. Today, the population of those uh, villages is arriving is something around 324,000 people out of 866,000 in Jerusalem at the whole. Okay, so roughly 38%? Something like that, 37, 38%. So what this bill really means is that the Knesset, in order to make a change in Jerusalem's borders or to split the city, they'll need a supermajority in the Knesset. 
Correct. Right. The idea is to make sure that no force will be able to change the, the borders of Jerusalem. Basically, the way it's been perceived in, uh, in the Israeli public is that if there will be a, want to, uh, a will to really divide Jerusalem, meaning taking everything that was annexed to Jerusalem in 1967 and make it part of the Palestinian state, there will be a need for a big majority in the Knesset. However, the real meaning of the law is that even if you want to take a small part of this 27 square miles and annex it to the, or de-annex it from Israel and annex it to the Palestinian state, you will need this, uh, this majority of 80 members of parliament. But in essence, this this bill won't really affect daily life in Jerusalem at all. Correct. The the bill main effect will be a political uh, meaning. When an Israeli prime minister will need to negotiate with a Palestinian uh, president, and he would come to the table, and eventually they will need to discuss Jerusalem, parts of it, or all of East Jerusalem, the Palestinian uh, president would come to the Israeli prime minister and say, you have no political uh, power to divide Jerusalem because getting 60 members of the Israeli Knesset to vote for such a for such a step is really a hard mission. I need to remind you that, for example, the Oslo Accord part, passed in the Israeli parliament in the Knesset for less than 70 members of Knesset. I think it was 61 to 59, something that a very small majority uh, in, in Israeli terms. Could this amendment also create some of the uh, riots and the violence that we hear about uh, right now in Jerusalem? I don't believe so. We need to remember that when the decision was made in 1967, basically until 1989, until the first uh, first intifada, until some steps that were taken, the first intifada started at the end of 1987, the border of Jerusalem had almost no meaning for the residents of Jerusalem, the Arab residents of Jerusalem. In a sense, they saw themselves as part of the West Bank, just very lucky. Why very lucky? Because they enjoy Israeli social security. They had the Israeli uh, residency that gave them the blue Israeli ID. But in any other sense, they felt themselves as part of the West Bank. In 1960, uh, sorry, 1989, uh, in the middle of the, of the First Intifada, Israel started to make some steps that separated East Jerusalem from the rest of the West Bank. Those steps continued gradually during the Second Intifada until in 2002, the Israeli government made the decision to build the security fence. And that was already a dramatic change in the way that East Jerusalem might relate to the West Bank. Because all of a sudden, there was a physical barrier separating East Jerusalem from the rest of the West Bank. And there are some, there are some areas in Jerusalem today that are technically inside the city, but they are on the other side of the, the security Correct. There are two big neighborhoods, one in the north of Jerusalem called Kafar Akeb and one in the east of Jerusalem, which is the refugee camp of Shuafat. Both of them are inside the Jerusalem municipal borders, meaning inside the area that was annexed to Jerusalem in 1967, but they are outside of the security fence. When the government made the decision in 2002 and 2003, uh, the different steps of the building of the security fence, they decided for some reason that, if you want, we can Elaborate that those two neighborhoods will be outside of the fence, which of course make it very hard for the people in those cities to get the services they, they deserve from the municipality of Jerusalem. Okay, so let's um, take a step back and return to the, um, to the issue of the amendment. Hypothetically speaking, let's say that Israel and the Palestinians are able to reach some sort of final status agreement, which will probably stipulate some sort of division of Jerusalem. 
does that have to be approved now by 80 members of Knesset? Hence, it's almost impossible to approve, or is there a way around it? Do so, we still have hope to reach some sort of agreement with the Palestinians? So this is something that's very interesting, because originally Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, was against this legislation. Um, but eventually he decided that it was okay. And we think that a reason could be is that there is a special clause in this in this bill that could allow the clause to be reversed by a simple majority, meaning 61 members of Knesset, that would essentially reverse what this clause exactly does. Maybe you can tell us more about that. Okay, so the first thing is that technically the law itself is not protected with the same clause. So theoretically, with 61 members of Knesset, you are able to to bypass the, the new amendment and cancel the law. There is another thing that we need to remember. Netanyahu is a big supporter of referendums. In any case, I do not see a situation in which Netanyahu or any prime minister from the Likud party that is reaching a, a final status agreement with the Palestinian would pass it only in the Knesset. It is much more logic that in that case he would go to a referendum, and clearly a referendum is a way to bypass this 80-member 80, 80 Knesset amendment. And this goes back to the amendment that was passed in 2014 Correct. about the national referendum where to sign an agreement you would either need 80 seats in the Knesset or to have a referendum where you would need a majority among all Israeli citizens. Exactly. And it actually makes sense. If you're doing something so dramatically and so important as a final status agreement with the Palestinians, going to referendum is something that makes sense. I remind you that during this engagement, Netanyahu pushed very, very strongly for a, re- a referendum. So clearly, he would be. Uh, it would be very problematic to him to explain why he's bringing a final status agreement without such a referendum. I've also uh, recently heard about um, a new bill that's being pushed by the Likud, um, by Salkat and Yav Kish, uh, which is an attempt to um, expand the municipal boundaries of Jerusalem to include um, big settlement blocks east of the Green Line, um, and basically removing three major Palestinian villages, including the ones you talked about, which are east to the uh, to the wall. Could could these also um, create some sort of tensions? Do you think this could also this could actually happen. I mean, I'm, I'm just wondering because the amendment that we're now talking about, about the 80 members of Knesset, basically it impedes any kind of change in Jerusalem's boundaries. You touched a very, very important point, which is understanding that every law that is being passed in Israel and has to do with Jerusalem is basically and first and foremost a political law or has a political motivation. Today we have two major parties that are fighting uh, on the votes in the in the right side of the Israeli electorate. One is headed by Net, uh, Benjamin, uh, sorry, by Benjamin Netanyahu. It's of course the Likud party, the ruling party, and the other one is the one that is uh, led by Naftali Bennett, who offered this uh, amendment. Now let's uh, remember what happened in the last election. Polls showed that the party led by uh, by Naftali Bennett, called the Jewish House, Abaita Yehudi is going to reach a, a, a nice achievement. In the last few days of the before the election, Netanyahu went in a campaign going to exactly the voters of Abayt Ayudi, telling them that they have to vote Likud if they want a right-wing government. 
eventually leading to a cannibalism, a situation in which most of the voters, or a big chunk of the voters of Abayit Ayudi, voted Likud. Bennett wanted to make sure that in the next election, election, this situation would not be repeated. That's why he wanted to position himself right of Netanyahu, so his voters would choose to vote him rather than Netanyahu in the next election. The, the proposal, the, the new law that was proposed by Israel Katz and Yoav Kish needs to be understood in this light, meaning once ne- Bennett is offering a law regarding, uh, regarding Jerusalem, they have immediately, the Likud have immediately to, to suggest a different law in order to show their loyalty to Jerusalem, which is, of course, a very sensitive issue in the Israeli, in the Israeli public in general and, and, of course, in the Israeli right-wing, among Israeli right-wing uh, voters. So, what is this proposal of, um, of Kish and Katz? Basically, what they're suggesting, they're saying, let's take all those neighborhoods around, oh, sorry, all those small towns around Jerusalem that are part of what we can call the Jerusalem metropolitan area and annex them to Jerusalem. But Th- does this include like Malay Adumim and stuff like that? Okay, well? so the, neighbor, the, the towns that we're talking about are Givat Zev, mm-hmm. which is northwest of Jerusalem, Malay Adumim, which is east of Jerusalem, and Efrat, which is part of the Etzion block south of Jerusalem, and some other small towns around so those towns. So this would also strengthen the Jewish majority, which has been dwindling in the past years. Exactly. Well. So... What what Katz and Kish are doing is they're trying to do two things. The first thing, since 1967, there is a, a strategic policy among Israeli governments of trying to ensure the, Israel, the Jewish majority in the city of Jerusalem. This uh, In 1967, the Jewish percentage in the population was something like 75%. And today, as we mentioned in the beginning of our podcast, it is something like 62%. And there are predictions that this uh, this majority will, will become even smaller, not much smaller, by the way, but even smaller in the next 10 or 20 years. Katz and Kish want to guarantee that those numbers will change dramatically by annexing the, the Jewish population of those towns that Eli just mentioned to the city of Jerusalem. However, they cannot really annex those uh, those towns into Jerusalem because clearly that would create a... International a po- chaos, yeah, exactly. basically. Yeah, yeah. Be beginning to annex area, part of Area C as well. Uh, exactly. Those... those Towns are part and of area E1 obviously would probably have to be added. Exactly E1, which is which is the area that is connecting uh, Maledumim to Jerusalem, but disconnecting Bethlehem from Ramallah, two major Palestinian cities, uh, and this will all lead to to a lot of uh, international uh, chaos. Therefore, what they're trying to say is those cities would not be annexed to Israel, but the residents, the people that live in those uh, towns, will be able to vote. To the uh, to the Jerusalem municipality, hmm. by doing so, guaranteeing the Jewish uh, the Jewish majority in the city. Even more than that, they're saying let's take the Arab neighborhoods of Jerusalem that we mentioned before, Kafar Akeb and, and the Shuafat refugee camp, and take them outside of Jerusalem, meaning they will still be part of the state of Israel because. As you can understand, we cannot change the borders of Jerusalem, but they will vote for their own regional council. So by doing so, we added to Jerusalem a big part of, uh, of Jews, and we reduced from Jerusalem something that we, uh, we said we're trying to estimate the number of, of Arabs in those neighborhoods, something around 70,000 Jerusalem, Jerusalemite residents that will not be part of Jerusalem anymore. Okay, so let's maybe it's time to move to a less controversial issue, the Temple Mount. As, uh, <laughs> yes, um, not very controversial <laughs> yeah, these days. Uh, it's time to be re- more relaxed. Yeah. yeah. 
So um, in the aftermath of uh, the attack by uh, the terror attack by three Israeli Arabs from Umm al-Fakhum, who shot two uh, Israeli Druze policemen, things have gone pretty crazy. The Temple Mount it closed uh, was closed for Muslim worshippers for. I believe it was one day. Was it one day? Or was it was it a Friday and a Saturday. A Friday the most significant day is, of course, Friday. Friday. It was a Friday and a Saturday. And when it reopened, to the surprise of many of the worshippers, there were metal detectors that the Israeli government had put there. Now, previously, I believe there were metal detectors for for tourists and for... Non-Muslim. Non-Muslim people. But this was a very big deal. And maybe, Lior, you can explain to us why. Because... To me, I mean, going to the Kotel, used to having metal detectors there for all, for, for Jews, whoever, for Jews or non-Jews. Um, why is it such a big deal? Why it's just a metal detector to a holy site? It seems to me like it could be common sense security. I mean, in Israel, you have metal detectors om- almost in the entrance malls. to every place. So why is this such a big deal? Okay, so in order to understand the, the conflict that is going now around the Temple Mount, we need to go again back to 1967. In 1967, when the Israeli soldiers of the Parachute Brigade entered the Temple Mount, they put an Israeli flag on the top of the Temple Mount. M- Moshe Dayan, that was at the time the Minister of uh, the Israeli Ministry of Defense, was watching the Temple Mount from, from a, a viewpoint, and, and when he saw that, he immediately gave an order to take off the Israeli flag. Then he went to the Temple Mount, went to the uh, Muslim Waqf, which ran the Temple Mount during the Jordanian time, and told them, you will continue the status quo that was during the Jordanian time. We'll just allow tourists, remember, not worshipper, not Jewish worshipper, just tourists, to enter the Temple Mount. And that's the famous status quo that from 1967 held until around the year 2000. In the year 2000, the Muslims, as part of the beginning of the Second Intifada, did not allow, the, the Waqf did not allow tourists or Jews, tourists, Jewish tourists, to enter the Temple Mounts, and that was the situation until 2003. In 2003, the Israeli government enforced on the Waqf the entrance of the the tourist to the Temple Mount, but the Waqf still did not allow entrance into the mosque. And that's the status quo that stayed since 2003. Tourists can visit the Temple Mount, but and they're going through a metal detector, but they cannot enter into the, the mosque themselves, which are a small part of the big compound of the Temple Mount. That was the situation until the terrorist attack last week. What happened in the terrorist attack is that the, those three terrorists used the fact that there is no metal detectors in the entrance to the Temple Mount. They had a friend, a, an assistant, smuggle weapon inside the, the holy compound, bring them the weapon, and then they went from the Temple Mount outside to the soldiers, the, the policemen, sorry, that were outside and shot them in the back. Clearly, the Israeli police could not leave it as is and what they came out with the situation was with the solution was to put metal detectors in all the gates of the temple mount and not just on the gate that is uh, uh, dedicated to for tourists the problem is that when you talk to to arabs about the concept of gates there is an arab saying whoever controls the gates control the the city and in that specific mm. case, whoever controlled the gates controlled the entrance to the Temple Mount. 
The whole struggle over the Temple Mount is a struggle about uh, control. Who controls the Temple Mount? Is it the small autonomous area of the Waqf of the Muslims, or is it part uh, part of Israel and being controlled by Israel? And clearly, by, by the moment that Israel is putting metal detectors, it shows its control over the entrance, and as I said, whoever controls the gate controls the Temple Mount. But just let me understand, isn't the Waqf, Jordan, uh, controlled by Jordan, isn't it supposed to be a Jordanian entity? I mean, the status quo doesn't doesn't it refer to basically the control of Jordan before sixty seven. The Waqf, well, you're touching a very sensitive issue for the Waqf. The Waqf is theoretically controlled by the Jordanian. The salaries of the of the Waqf employees is being uh, paid by the Jordanian. However. The Waqf is playing this delicate, delicate game between the Jordanian and the Palestinians with some kind of a double loyalty. What happened was that the, let's call it the Jerusalemite leader or the Palestinian leader is the one that is leading now the resistance to the, to the metal detector in the entrance to the Temple Mount. So maybe let's talk about how how do you think it's best to diffuse the tension? Do you think removing the metal detectors is a good idea? Or do you think maybe, which I heard being suggested in recent days, was only screening suspicious people of a certain age group in the metal detectors? How can we stop these protests that have already caused casualties among uh, protesters? And still maintain that the compound is, is secure and, and not, secure. doesn't introduce grenades and, and weapons as, as was found a few times within the mosque. So when when we look at the solution, there are two possible solutions. There are three possible solutions. First solution is of course to to create some kind of a of to to, ri- to let the tension rise until the level that it would explode as uh, we hope uh, as as we're recording it we're just in the beginning of the Friday prayers in uh, in the Temple Mount. Uh, let's see what what would come out of uh, of that. So that's Option number one, I think it's a lose-lose situation for both sides. Option number two is to find other, more uh, sophisticated security uh, means in order to guarantee that people would not smuggle weapons within the Temple Mount, but taking off the metal detector, which are very visible and have a very aggressive sense in the eyes of the of the Muslim. That could be cameras, that could be hand metal detectors, like we sometimes see in, in airports. That could be other technological means. That could be also a decision that only people that go with bags need to be checked, while people that are coming without bags can be can pass uh, without a check, and so on and so forth. The third option is to create some kind of a cooperation. Again, I'm going back to the saying: whoever controls the gate controls the the mount, the the temple mount. If we are creating some kind of a cooperation with the Jordanian and the Waqf that the responsibility for people entering into the compound is divided between the Israeli police and and the Waqf, that might be a solution that can be accepted by the Waqf. Thank you so much, Lior. This was really insightful. Um, Let us hope that things will um, be a bit more calm in the next few days. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. It was great being here. Thanks very much. And we'll join you next week. Uh, Thank you for tuning in.